Good music is what we want to hear. What do you mean, good music? It's what we dance to, what our children will dance to. And if you don't want to play it, then take your records and go home. Did you have a band? Good or bad? It's a great band, it's a bad band, it's like pizza, baby. It's good no matter what, there's music in the air. Welcome to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. I'm Jim DeRogatis, the pop music critic at the Chicago Sun-Times. And I'm Greg Cutt. I write about rock and roll for the Chicago Tribune. Today on the world's only rock and roll talk show, we're going to get rid of those headphones for a minute. We're going to put on the stethoscopes (laughs) and help some poor listener who seems to be lost in the wilderness of modern music discover what's good about today's music. You are talking, of course, about our uh, recurring Rock Doctors segment. Because people come to us, they say, you know, you guys are lucky SOBs. You have the greatest job in the world. You get to stay on top of all this music. But it is your job. I was a big music fan, but I'm out of touch. What can you tell me about new music that will convince me that it's worth listening to? So we've got a victim or a patient, as the case may be. Yeah, don't kill her off yet. They're not dead yet. (laughs) Absolutely. Plus, we're going to look at the return of The Who down to a duo, Roger Daltrey, Pete Townsend. Finally, some new music for the first time in 24 years on tour. Plus, we've got reviews of new albums by DJ Shadow and the heavy metal band Mastodon. And we will have your Desert Island jukebox pick, Greg. But first, we want to welcome a new station, K-I-A-L-A-M, in Dutch Harbor and Unalaska. It's the Unalaska Community Broadcasting Station in Unalaska and Dutch Harbor, which is officially pretty much the middle of nowhere. The final frontier of the United States. I mean, you cannot go any farther west in the U.S. than this particular town. And uh, the music you hear underneath us at the moment, Jim, is a tribute to Dutch Harbor in a way. It was uh, an album and a uh, movie made by Chicagoan Braden King Mm. in the uh, mid-90s called Dutch Harbor, where the sea breaks its back. It's a beautiful black-and-white film of the sailing and fishing community in Dutch Harbor. And a bunch of Chicago musicians and Louisville musicians created this uh, very atmospheric soundtrack. Snow is coming Rain, Chechtach, Tanga is water, and the ocean is Allah. When we are adding new stations, we are trying to play a rock band from their hometown, you know, rock defined loosely, hip-hop, whatever, an important musical artist from their town. None of us could come up with a great Alaska rock band. What Greg and I want to know, are there any great, you know, Dutch Harbor death metal bands? Is there a killer un-Alaska rapper that we don't know about? We want to know! So send us your music and we will make up the fact that we haven't played an Alaska artist to welcome you by playing that in the future. So if you know of any great rock and roll bands or rappers in your area, Alaska, send us a message. Indirect at soundopinions.org. Alright, welcome Alaska. Let's talk about some rock and roll news. Amor mio Estoy debajo del vaivén de tus piernas Estoy hundido en un vaivén de caderas Esto es el cielo, es mi cielo Amor fugado You're listening to the Mexican rock band Mana, one of the big superstars of the rock and espanol movement, uh, Latin rock. 
of the last 25 years, we finally have a video channel dedicated in North America, a 24-hour bilingual music channel aimed at young U.S. Latinos. MTV Espanol has morphed into something called MTV Trays. What we have now is a channel that uh, has VJs, programming. Jim, to my mind, this is kind of like one of the first big multinational corporate efforts to court this particular audience in the United States. And, of course, it's MTV, which we just talked about on its 25th anniversary. <laughs> so there's a downside, yes. As being somewhat irrelevant to a lot of people in America compared to where it was, say, on its 10th anniversary, trying to reach out to this audience, which is huge, actually. I mean, we're talking about the fastest-growing population in the United States at the moment. About one in five Americans aged 34 and younger is of Hispanic descent, which is the target audience for this new channel. And uh, the Census Bureau is saying that by 2020, the Latino teenage population is expected to have grown 62% compared to 10% for teenagers overall. So yeah. this is the growth area. MTV is going full bore after well, it. it just debuted. So we're going to withhold our judgment. Mana was the artist of the month, I believe, and they, uh, they hosted a block of their own programming. And those videos were pretty interesting. Otherwise, you know, you're getting some of the same junk that MTV gives you in English. You know, you're getting Paris Hilton. Um, what bothers me a little bit and really kind of uh, sets my alarm bells ringing is some of the original programming uh, from the network that gave us Jackass. You know, on, <laughs> on MTV Trace, they are giving us... Quiero mis quinces on MTV in English. They have My Super Sweet 16, which is a despicable <laughs> show about consumerism on uh, MTV Trace. They're giving us a show about the Latin American uh, you know, tradition of the 15-year-old uh, coming out party, right? Right. Uh, and they're giving us Pimpiando, which is a show about guys who spray paint Aztecs and the Virgin of Guadalupe on their lowriders. <laughs> this sounds like some cultural pandering yeah. of the worst sort, but I wouldn't expect anything else from the people who bought yeah. us, you know, Johnny Knoxville. It'll be interesting to see where they go. We did a show over the summer with Ernesto Lechner, one of the leading experts on uh, rock and espanol, talking about this movement and how there's a burgeoning underground rock scene in Latin America at the moment. To my mind, rock and espanol is the most exciting movement in rock at the moment. Bands like Cafe Tacuba are every bit what Radiohead is to a North American audience. These are the kind of bands I hope to see on MTV Trace. The real cutting edge of what's going on in, in Latin music these days. Here's a challenge to them. You know, go back to our soundopinions.org archives. You know, find that rock and Espanol yeah. show we did. And when you add the two dozen <laughs> bands that we talked about with Ernesto Lechner as great examples of rock and Espanol, then MTV Trace will applaud you. That is a song called Desert Rose, brought to us by Sting, patron of the arts, Sting. <laughs> a song, mind you, that he debuted in an automobile commercial, a luxury automobile commercial. That's how he launched this tune. In our ongoing series of uh, Pot Calling the Kettle Black news stories, a couple of weeks ago we talked about how Bob Dylan had suddenly declared there hadn't been a good album recorded in 30 years. <laughs> 20, uh, actually, but who's 20, counting, 20, right? 30, you know, nobody since him, you know. Uh, <laughs> we now have Sting declaring, uh, and I quote, Today's music is not designed for me. I don't understand a Beyonce or a Justin Timberlake. Why? Well, according to Sting, 
quote, singing is a spiritual journey. I'm devoutly musical, you know, which is to say Beyonce and Justin Timberlake are all about commercialism and Sting isn't. Sting, in fact, is so devoutly anti-commercial that in between Jaguar advertising, he uh, has just recorded his new album. I mean, this almost sounds like a parody. This sounds like a joke. (laughs) Sting's new album recorded in his villa in Tuscany, right, is a disc full of 16th century music performed on the lute. Woohoo! Can't <laughs> wait to hear that. You know, Sting joined the club of grumpy old men, Bob Dylan, Van Morrison, now Sting, who don't understand modern music. It's not for them. I think we should do a special segment of Rock Doctors with Sting as our first patient. He could benefit from this kind of musical advice because clearly he's not hearing enough new music that uh, gets his ears pricked up. He needs to hear this show more It often. would mean we'd have to talk to Sting, and I just would not want to subject <laughs> us to that. You're listening to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. is the song Fragments. The first new Who album in 24 years is about to be released. It's called Endless Wire, and it prompts a tour by the Who, as we now know them, basically two guys, Pete Townsend and uh, Roger Daltrey, the surviving original members of the band, John Entwistle, the bassist, died in 2002, Keith Moon, the drummer, died in 1978, Townsend and Daltrey carry on as the Who, And uh, for the first time in uh, quite a long time, in more than two decades, they have new music to perform. That's the news here. The fact that The Who are out on the road again, finally, with new music. New Um, new being sort of relevant, Greg, because in that song, Fragments, you do hear the synthesizer riff from Baba O'Reilly. Yeah. uh, You know, recycled. (laughs) And intentionally so. They are sort of looking back to some of their roots here. There are clear signposts of, okay, this is The Who as we once knew them. But the new stuff there, I think you'll hear, is kind of interesting. I think The Who, with their new music and in the way they're presenting their current tour, is that they are finally acknowledging that it's really not a band anymore. It's not about Keith Moon and John Entwistle and that amazing rhythm section. Obviously, it can't be. Zach Starkey's a fine drummer, but he's not Keith Moon. And he's Ringo's son. He, yes, he's, <laughs> he's that too. Pino Palladino's a great bassist, but he's not quite John Entwistle. And you and I have been very outspoken about this in recent years. Uh, how can you even call yourself the Who when you're missing basically half the band? I mean, essential parts of the band, in my opinion. Pete always wrote the songs, but it was a quartet where each of those four members brought something vital. Absolutely. And now, with this new music from this new album, 
endless wire and a mini opera that's folded into it called Wire and Glass. Townsend has sort of addressed who the who is now. And in that song, Fragments, you can hear the interplay of Daltrey's voice and Townsend's. And it's become sort of this duo concept, more so emphasizing the vocals and the interplay between those two guys. You're even going to hear some acoustic tunes on this tour and on this album, where it's basically about Townsend and Daltrey. And I think they've looked at themselves and said, you know, we're not this band anymore. We're not this powerhouse, proto-metal, 1970s arena rock act anymore. We can reference that era, but what we are now, it's about Daltrey and Townsend addressing who they are now. You know, that famous line, hope I die before I get old, in Townsend's uh, 1965 classic, My Generation, he's been confronted with that for 20 years. Having to play that song with really no new context other than, you know, we were once this great band in the 60s and 70s, and now we've turned into this nostalgia. And we've got old and we haven't died. Exactly. Well, there's an interesting moment on this tour where they play a song from It's Hard, which was supposed to be their retirement album in 1982, and they segue it into uh, My Generation. Cry If You Want is the 82 song. And during the bridge, Townsend does this thing where he says, you know, I hope I die before I get old. I hope I die. I hope I get old. And finally he says, what am I going to be when I grow up? Which is pretty funny. Now, Townsend has been uh, doing a lot of interesting things in the last 20 years in between these very sporadic Who reunions. You know, he's been a publisher full-time with Mm -hmm. the London publisher uh, Faber and Faber. He's been writing forever an autobiography, which is, uh, you know, called Pete Townsend, who he, which I I really want to read because he's a you know famously funny and insightful writer, mm-hmm. and he had a brush with being indicted uh, for child pornography. Charges were never filed, but Scotland Yard arrested him for having some controversial images on his computer. All of which I think are more interesting than new, quote unquote, who songs. Some of which he's written. He's in love again. And God bless Pete. I'm glad he's happy. He's dating this young musician, Rachel Fuller, quite a few years younger than him. And some of these songs he wrote with her. And, you know, I mean, do you want to hear Pete Townsend writing with somebody named Rachel Fuller? No no matter how talented she is. I mean, why is Rachel Fuller writing who songs? And how can these guys be so callous and uncaring about there's a recent Daltrey interview they don't even care about their own history you know this is how Daltrey described the death of Entwistle he said uh, you know he was found with quote that line of coke and the hooker in Vegas <laughs> what a way to talk about a guy that you made music with for 30 years yeah there's no doubt I mean there's a lot of stuff you know he's an incredibly complex and contradictory man you read two interviews with Townsend and he could contradict himself right away I mean it's like wait a minute you, you said A but now you're saying B which is it yeah You hold Townsend up under that scrutiny, I think he folds pretty easily. But I tell you, the music, and I was incredibly dubious about any new Who music at this stage, was kind of moving in the sense that it it did address who they are. They are elder statesmen. They aren't denying that. Pete Townsend's 61. Roger Daltrey's 62. The arc of this little mini-opera that they've got going here, it's basically 10 songs, 20 minutes of this new record. It's basically talking about the history of a rock band, much like The Who. It's based on this novel Townsend has up on his website. He's got every chapter, The Boy Who Heard Music. And it's basically a soundtrack for that novel. And it takes the band from its very beginnings to, you know, the whole idea, music can change your life, music can save your life, through the disillusionment process of, wait a minute, this industry is, is... eating us alive to, you know, their old men now, singing yeah. Looking Back on the Toll. And I, I have to say, it ends with that song, Tea in Theater, which is the song they're ending their current concerts with. 
And it's very moving just to see Daltrey and Townsend up there on stage kind of looking back on their past. And it's not necessarily a fond look back. There are some regrets folded into that. It's, a, it's kind of a, an elegy. Yeah. Let's hear a new song from the Wire and Glass mini opera on the Endless Wire album. It's called They Made My Dreams Come True. It's basically a Townsend song, very short, in which he addresses the downfall of this band, this mythical band he's writing about in this mini opera. And he's referencing, very clearly to me anyway, the 11 deaths at that 1979 Who concert in Cincinnati. He's talking about performing on stage while people are dying. And meanwhile, the band played on. Here's They Made My Dreams Come True on Sound Opinions. Shots rang out as a singer yawned The band played on until the dawn Lies and drugs and drugs and fools Tricks and stunts disguised the tools If the victim dead with their blood and bulls This not part of That's The Who, or as I like to say, The Whomever, with a new song called They Made My Dream Come True on Sound Opinions. I think he's got a screw loose, Greg, and I can't believe you're buying into this to the extent that you are. I have to say, though, Jim, it was by far the most engaged I've ever seen Townsend at a rock concert. I've seen Townsend solo shows. I've seen quote-unquote who shows since their retirement in 1982 several times. Never have I seen him so engaged. There was a passion there that I hadn't seen in two decades, and it was kind of reinvigorating to see. Well, as soon as Endless Wire comes out, it's scheduled for release on Halloween. We will review it on Sound Opinions. You are listening to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. Later on in the show, we're going to have reviews of the new albums from DJ Shadow and Mastodon. But first, the return of the Rock Doctors. Master of rhythm, he's a rock and roll king. 
doctor, I'm damaged. There's a pain where there once was a heart. It's sleeping, it's abating. Can't you please tear it out and preserve it right there in that jar? Welcome back to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. The rock doctors are in the house. We have got our lab coats and stethoscopes on. We're ready to do some diagnosing. Coming in from the waiting room. <laughs> Welcome, Julie from Brooklyn. How are you? I'm doing well. Our how second, are you? our second patient. We're doing fine. You don't Good. have to worry about how the doctors are. That's not how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> They're always thrown. You ever go to a real doctor and you say, "How are you?" and they like don't know how to answer that. Yeah, that's right. Nobody's my, ever asked me that before. My time is valuable. What's the matter with you? <laughs> So you love music, but you haven't been listening to much new stuff. No, I've definitely been sort of stunted. Well, why is that? You know, the one, the music that I found, I really, really liked it a lot. Mm-hmm. And it really kind of has been serving its purpose now for a solid 10 to 15 years. And I want new music, but then you get so far removed from it where it, it, it all seems too big now. Like it would seem utterly arbitrary if I walked into... So it um, becomes daunting. Yeah, a music store. Yeah, it's fully daunting. But I'd venture to say you don't eat the same thing for dinner or lunch every day, right? Um, no, you're right. No, I don't. I don't eat everything the right. same day. Okay. But I probably... You know, I listen to about four albums and I probably eat on the average about four different types of food as well. Mm-hmm. So tell us what some of the cornerstones of the four albums that you do listen to. <laughs> who, who are they? For the last, yeah, about 10 years, I've listened to Stevie Wonder. Not new Stevie Wonder, older Stevie Wonder. Okay, Songs in the Key of Life, Songs right? in the Key of Life, okay. exactly, and like fulfilling this personality and everything like that. So, like, you know, I, st- I stick with that kind of stuff. But think about how much ground that Stevie covers. I mean, those are some of his most layered and luscious and most inventive and kind of genre-spanning albums. I agree. I totally and completely agree. There's always something new to discover and to listen to, and they are they are so incredibly produced. It's I'm in awe. Music is a world within itself With a language we all understand With an equal opportunity For all to sing, dance, and clap their hands well, Just because a record has a groove Don't make it in the groove But you can tell right away There's also an incredible amount of styles on those records, so there's hope here. I mean, you yeah. if you like songs in the key of life, that's an incredible variety of music. I mean, he's doing everything from sort of a take on Duke Ellington to, you know, straight R&B to some reggae to some ballads. So, I mean, you're open to, it sounds like, a lot of different types of music. So that's a hopeful sign. Okay, good. All right, what, so what, what okay, else? Okay, and then the other one that I've been stuck on for a long time has been um, Lauren Hill's The Miseducation of Lauren Hill. Mm. Um, so I should probably move on from that after a while as well. Yeah. 
Yeah. What, what is it about it in particular? That well, it's, a, it's sort of very similar to Stevie in a lot of ways in that, like, she, she shakes it up between, like, the ballads that are just straight R&B, and then she's got things that she's got a lot of rap in there as well, and kind of goes all over, and some are, like, more hip and, like, kind of, like, poppy and fun, and other ones are a little more soulful. So I, I like that a lot. And hers are incredibly layered as well, like very produced, I think I realized once I started breaking this down. Mm-hmm. I, I must be a fan of okay, so the production production production's got to be fairly sophisticated, and it sounds like you're responding to the quality of the voice as well. Yes, I like things <laughs> I yeah. like things I can sing along to. All right, melodies, melodies yeah. are important. Yeah. Okay. okay. And, and you, then, and so you, then you, the last one was Ella Fitzgerald. First you say you do, and then you don't. And then you say you will, and then you won't. You're undecided now, so what are you gonna do? All right, that's classic. Why Ella? Yeah, because she has just an incredibly beautiful voice, and it's very, very playful. I, I think our diagnosis is uh, is firm, right, Mr. Cott? I think so. Dr. Cott? Yeah. I'll go first. Is this, like, bad news, good news, or...? Well, um, you're not going to die. Okay. Uh, I think you're going to live. <laughs> and we're going to give you some new music to live by. Well, we hope. Okay. I mean, that's why we're going to check back in a week. All right. So uh, with Stevie Wonder, the one-man genius of R&B past, a particular era, I think that the best R&B record uh, made in the last decade, at least, was D'Angelo's Voodoo. Oh. And D'Angelo is, is a genius. You know, played many of the instruments himself, was kind of a one-man band like Stevie. The help that he did get was from uh, incredibly talented people. It's kind of a dark record in some ways. It's got a vibe. It takes you on this journey, but it's very layered. It's as dense as Stevie. So uh, that's kind of an edgy prescription. Actually, both of my recommendations for you are going to be a little edgy. These are both experimental, non-FDA-approved yet prescriptions, (laughs) and they may backfire. And the other thing is completely out of left field, and my colleagues here, the nurses in our waiting room, our producers, (laughs) you know, completely scoffed at me and thought I was nuts. But there was something about the way you expressed your fondness for Ella Fitzgerald and her vocals, the way you love her vocals, and also Lauren Hills, that I just think this band may appeal to you. La Altra is a duo from Chicago. We had them on the radio show uh, a mm-hmm. while back, and uh, they had a beautiful album come out last year called Different Days. It's largely just keyboard and female vocal. It's kind of minimal and appealing, and something about Ella Fitzgerald said, gee, do you think I'm completely nuts here, yeah, Dr. I think, Cott? Yeah, I think, Doctor, you, you could have your license pulled as a result. I think I Julie could go right to the board but no, and but, have your license pulled. Well, but you know no, what? I'm not sending her to... It's an adventurous know, prescription. Let's put it that I, way. I'm not sending her here, you know, to Einstersender Neubauten. No, I mean, this no, is a not. beautiful, beautiful record. I agree. And I don't know, just something yeah. about it says to me that a woman who loves Ella Fitzgerald as much as Julie may find some common ground with La Altra. Well, it's an interesting prescription, Dr. Dirigatis, I have to say. I also cued off the idea that uh, you liked Ella's voice and the playfulness in Ella's voice. And the first thing that popped to mind was uh, Jill Scott. Oh, right. Sure. And her first record, Who Is Jill Scott? Great record. I really liked the second record that she put out in 2004 called Beautifully Human. And I like the way she describes things. She's not only a wonderful singer with a beautiful voice, a playful voice, a human, earthy, kind of earth mother kind of voice. 
she's an incredibly detailed songwriter as well. So I think given the, the Stevie Wonder, given the Ella Fitzgerald playfulness, I think Jill Scott may be right up uh, your alley in terms of what you need as far as new music. I want to underscore that I'm going to second that. I, I knew that Dr. Cott was going to... I mean, this is like coming in saying I have a headache and they give you aspirin. I knew he was going to Jill Scott. It was so obvious. <laughs> I, say, and, I uh, even anticipated Jill Scott. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but that's good. And you can't go wrong with that. And it is a great record. And I think that it is going to connect with you. And I would say what's I'm more, excited. I will say this will replace your Lauren Hill. Because okay. she is, I think, a better songwriter than, than Lauren Hill. Yeah, I mean, I, I love the Miseducation of Lauren Hill record, too. I think that was one of my favorite records of that year. And, uh, you know, Jill Scott just moves you up by about <laughs> Which is now a decade ago, yeah, right? A, a decade ago. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to bring you into the, into the 2000s. You I know? know. I know. Another prescription that I might offer is John Legend, the uh-huh. Get Lifted record. Uh, it's not that far removed from the stuff you've mentioned already. What I like about Legend is that he's bringing the music forward. He's not just a nostalgia artist. He's not retro. He's not just bringing back R&B and soul and sort of reproducing it. Jim's choice of D'Angelo, I think, is kind of in that same vein, where you can clearly hear the roots of those classic R&B artists, the Marvin Gaye's, the Stevie Wonders, mm-hmm. but they're bringing it forward and bring it, giving it a contemporary edge. So, I, you know, I think you're going to dig both these records. Thanks so much. But, but you, can, you can tell us if they don't work. Well, sure, of course. And we would encourage you to. Okay. We, we can take it. Okay, I would do nothing less with my doctor. <laughs> all right, all right. Thank you very much, Julie. We'll check in on you in about a week. Thanks a lot. Okay, thanks. All right, take care. Hello? Julie, this is Jim DeRogatis and Greg Cott from Sound Hi. Opinions. How are you, Julie? I'm doing really well. How are you guys doing? Good. Well, we're concerned. Our lab uh, coats we want, are on. We want to make sure the prescription worked for you. <laughs> Stethoscopes around our neck. It's a week later. Have you been following uh, our advice? I did, and I listened. Um, I, I mean, one of the things that I sort of maybe realized part of what the problem was was just in terms of how difficult it was for me to find the time to actually listen to the music. And I was like, aha, I think I've identified at least a substantial portion of my music rutted problem. Well, that's good. Um, you've, you've decided you need to create more time for yourself to listen to music during the week. So I feel like we've already succeeded. Okay. All right. That sounds great. It takes effort, right? I mean, people can say, well, you know, I haven't seen a good movie since The Godfather. It was like, have you been in the movies? No. You can't complain if you're not trying. You're right. You're right. You know, it's just that I've, you know, I usually do it in the car, and I've got kids, and so then I'm just, like, competing, you know, right. trying to get yeah. the Sound of Music soundtrack off there so that I can try and listen or to Or High School Scott. Musical, even worse yet. Exactly. <laughs> Those damn kids, man. I know. I know. They're really cramping my style. Is, is your style at all changed based on the records that we recommended? You know what? I loved John Legend. I yeah, really did. Cool. Like, I was just, I was sort of amazed, and every song that came on, I kept on, like, I was cooking while I was listening, and I just kept on stopping and being like, this is amazing. I really, I really, really loved it. Okay, I see you checking me out. I think I know what you winking about. You with your man, you don't want him to see. It's all right with me. I know I drank a little bit much. And you think I'm talking crazy and such. I can't walk straight, but girl, I can see. You're all right with me. All right. I see a little something that I like. So, so you were huge on Stevie Wonder. Did you hear why we went with Legend? I heard exactly why you went with it, with him. And it was great, but it was even like... And it, I just thought, like, I thought like it was totally inventive and it didn't feel just all ballady or anything because... I'm aware of him, and he has a little bit of like a cheesy persona. Like I wasn't sure if 
he was sort of the equivalent of like, um, is this like a Michael Bolton kind of thing or what? Mm, but uh, anyway, when I heard ooh. the CD, I thought it was just incredible. And that would I be malpractice it. on our part right. to steer <laughs> you Michael toward Bol- anything that was Michael Bolton. Michael Bolton would never have Snoop Dogg on one of his records. Although if he did, he might actually be. No, there's nothing no, that could. You're say. right. <laughs> you're right. Where, what am I thinking? He's like nothing the Ebola of yeah. music. You know, <laughs> impossible. Yeah. Black Plague or something. Yeah. All right. So, and Jill Scott, you mentioned that you were listening to her. I did like the Jill Scott. I kind of had the same feelings about it that when, of where I think she has an incredible voice, but there is an element to it that sometimes I find it's very clever. I find her music sometimes to be overly clever. Mm. And so then sometimes, like, I just feel kind of turned off. Like, it reminded me a lot of Erica Badu. And then I sort of was like, well, I think I'd maybe just rather listen to Erica Badu. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. Which then gets me back into the hole. Back into the rut. Right. Yeah. Right. But I liked it. I did like it. It was just, um, it, 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 yeah. We at the family reunion. Telling jokes and playing spades Uncle Dave is on the barbecue grill Grandma bragging about the blanket she made Well, I don't know if the cleverness is... I mean, this was your recommendation, yeah. Dr. Cott, but for those songs where... I mean, you know, she wrote much of this album. See, we didn't give you any of the backstory or anything. Okay. Because who cares what these rock critics are always rambling on about something. You know, you either oh, like, like the music or you story. don't. Well, but no, I mean, much of it was that she was just riding around her native Philadelphia on a bus and writing her observations of what she see would see. So I don't, I don't know if it's clever so much if it's kind of journalistic. I Yeah, I, I often thought of her more as kind of earthy. Erica Badu is kind of this... Spirituality queen, you know she she's walks the around age. in the head wrap, and mm-hmm. you know Macy she's Gray's got the, the incense going, and Macy's the freak, and Jill is kind of like you know she's almost like the mom, and I don't mean that in a deprecating way at all. She's the coolest mom on the block, you know, but she's yeah. uh, dispensing kind of like observations about everyday life, which I find really ingratiating. All right, now I was uh, I was going on some radical therapy prescriptions here, and uh, and really out on a limb, and I recommended you check out D'Angelo. Yes. Am I nuts? Uh. <laughs> Go ahead, tell him he's nuts. You, can, you, right. you, you like D'Angelo more than the John Legend record? Yeah, I think D'Angelo's Voodoo is just an absolutely revolutionary record in, in the vein, in the way that Songs in the Key of Life by Stevie Wonder, who, who you adore, was. I mean, people are going to be coming back to that record for 20 years and inventing new stuff because of what's on there. Well, I mean, you know, I don't feel like I'm in a position to argue with a doctor. Well, I mean, I didn't, go to, I didn't go to med school. Everybody's a critic here on Sound Opinions. We'll drop the doctor part for that. I mean, you know, it, it, my wife always says, you know, she goes into the doctor and uh, she can have a steak knife sticking out of her eye. And the doctor says, well, you should lose some weight. Let's deal with it. It's like, well, God. So who says the doctor knows what the heck he's talking about? <laughs> Well, here's the thing. Actually, I was reminded when I brought the D'Angelo CD home is that my husband reminded me. He's like, we did buy that CD, and we listened to it on a road trip that we took to California like five or six years ago. Wow. And then I remember, I was like, oh, that's right. And then at the end, I was just, I told him to sell it back. Um, oh. So, but I, I, I went into it then again. I returned with a more of an open mind this time, like where I was like, well, you know, I really could see what you had said about it and everything. I liked it. Um, it seems still a little bit like I just didn't find it that exciting. Mm-hmm. 
but I liked it. I did like it. Like, it is, it's I, a dark, I, I, swampy I record. It's a certain yeah, it's time. A, it's for when you and your husband have gotten the kids off to the, the parents for the weekend, yeah. your your parents' place, mm-hmm. and you're, you maybe got, you know, a couple of bottles of wine. and. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. I know okay. where this is going. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you know what? If, if you wanted something to focus on, uh, focus on the bass playing in that record. I mean, if you All got right. a nice, uh, uh, I don't know what kind of stereo you have, but if you got one that can, you can... Sort of adjust the bass tones a little sure. bit. Oh my God! It, you could swim around. You could live inside those bass lines in this record. Greg will I'm come over to your house and set you up. <laughs> 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 all, right, all right, and then I, I went completely, uh, compl- even further left field. There is no love There is no I mean, you said you liked Ella Fitzgerald and the beauty of that singing and the kind of crystalline gorgeousness of those melodies and the jazz. And I just, I don't know why, but I, I turned to a, a group from Chicago, a duo called La Altra. Yeah. <laughs> that one was probably a little on the off-base side. So that medicine did not <laughs> If you were truly all. a doctor, I may possibly be dead now. Oh, um, she'd be no, suing I, me for my one, practice. I, like, I, was, I was a little, I was a little, my job a little bit dropped on that where I was like, wait, what? Ultimately, after like about, about like the third or fourth song, like I was, I thought maybe what you were going for was the idea that I had said I liked like layering and orchestration. Yeah. Was, yeah. was that? What? I mean, I don't know. I, 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 don't, I don't, maybe I was just off my own meds. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. There's something that about. That one was not for me. The, the way you described your love for Ella Fitzgerald moved me and I just was, but you know, I mean, it might be the steak knife in the eye and the Although lose Ella, some weight. Ella's a little more flexible as a vocalist well, yeah. than this, this lady is. In well, yeah, but, but, I mean, one of our goals here with this segment, Greg, is to bring Stretch. people like Julie up. Well, you know, to introduce them to new things. There you go. You know what I mean? I mean, there are any number of Ella Fitzgerald imitators. We could give her two dozen of them. Sure. But, but you know, you want to try to get at the core of what you liked about this music that was 40 years old. And maybe there's some echo of it going somewhere new in 2006. Well, uh, and I like Julie's... Uh, you know, she's very blunt. I love the fact that, you know, we can go from rat poison yeah. ultra <laughs> to uh, yeah. ecstasy yeah. with John Legend. So I, you know. I really, really, I love John Legend. I And I thought that D'Angelo and Jill Scott were totally, they were completely in, enjoyable for me. Like, they were very entertaining. It was just, I was trying to take them, like, uh, at the level of, are they going to be able to knock out my rutted CDs? Yeah, right. Well, I mean, you said you, you, I mean, Stevie Wonder is like all you listened to for five years. Yeah, but I thought like with John Legend, like, yeah. Well, thank you, Julie, for being such a good sport and for taking your medicine and hopefully. uh... (laughs) Well, you guys, thank you so much because this has been so much fun for me and I really, really appreciate it. Our pleasure. Thank you, Julie. Okay, thanks. Take care. All right, bye-bye. Coming up next on Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media, we've got reviews of the new albums by DJ Shadow and Mastodon and Greg Cott's Desert Island Jukebox Pick.
You're listening to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media, and uh, man, that was some eerie Pink Floydian soundscapey material from uh, Mastodon Atlanta Quartet out with their third full-length album, Blood Mountain. Much hyped heavy metal release, maybe the most hyped metal album since the Tool 10,000 Days record was released earlier in the year. This band was just signed to Warner Brothers. It debuted in the top 40 a few days ago, which is pretty unusual for a metal record in in these days. The reason is that there's a lot of uh, talk about this band. Ever since their 2004 record, Leviathan, which was like a uh, a modest little project, they said, okay, tell you what, we're going to make this album about this Herman Melville book that we all read <laughs> called Moby Dick, and we're going to try to make an album that, that sort of fits that size-wise. You just uh, got to love the concept epic album quality. about Moby Dick yes. called Leviathan. That's that, you know what? And it, and it sort of lived up to its huge, epic premise. Got them noticed in the underground metal community and pushed them onto the mainstream radar screen. This is the third album in the band's career. They formed in 1999, a quartet. The key here, Jim, is is a band that is notable for combining many influences under the umbrella of melody. They're technically incredibly proficient players, so there's a bit of that progressive rock thing going on here. They love their Zeppelin. They've got a heavy bass groove in most of their tracks. And above all, they've got that melodic element that a lot of the uh, the Swedish metal has been bringing into heavy metal in, in, in the last few years, as well as kind of echoes of that late 70s, early 80s heyday of, of bands like Judas Priest and the early Def Leppard. So you're combining some of the coolest influences in the metal world for the last 30, 35 years. And Mastodon is kind of the band that has been hyped as bringing them all together on Blood Mountain. Before we review this record, let's hear a little bit of it. It's Blood Mountain by Mastodon, and here's a track called Blade Catcher on Sound Opinions. Mastodon from the new album Blood Mountain. The song is called Blade Catcher. Greg, you're absolutely right about these boys being uh, synthesis. You know, nobody loves the coining of new subgenres 
more than people in the metal underground. <laughs> you know, you have sounds called screamo and grindcore and hardcore, which are all combinations of, of really extreme metal and really extreme punk. And then you have doom, which is kind of a good word for stone or rock, and you, and you have black metal, which is this European kind of almost operatic quality, very, very regal sound added which, to the Which metal. is different from death metal. Which is different from speed metal, <laughs> which is different from speed core, which yeah. is different from, yeah, right, exactly. Mastodon kind of uh, dips a toe, or dips a, dips a gargantuan arm, as the case may be, <laughs> in, in all of these pools. At different times, the two singers, bassist Troy Sanders and guitarist Brett Hines, they can range from Ronnie James Dio to the death metal growl, the cookie monster. <laughs> you know, and, and they're all over the map, but there's one thing that is supreme at all times, and that is the riff. And in heavy metal, nothing matters more. They hearken back to, really, the, the progenitors of metal, Black Sabbath. And also some of the new wave metal bands like Iron Maiden. They love the melody. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes their songs so effective. Whether it's a slow one like we heard at the top, or a really harsh song like Blade Catcher, or some other titles which I have to read. Capillarian Crest, mm -hmm. Circle Sisquatch, <laughs> Colony of Birchmen. What does any of this stuff mean? It doesn't matter. You know, the vocals are a texture. The lyrics are just a texture, just like the guitars, just like the rhythm section. It's all about the feel. It's all about the headbanging, dude! Yes. And these guys do it supremely well. Yeah, they're very good. You know, they look like auto mechanics, but they it, they sound like they should be wearing capes and spitting fire. I mean, they have these <laughs> yeah. kind of, you know, epic sci-fi quality. I mean, we talked about the last album being this mythical journey after the great white whale. And this one is about climbing this mountain and, you know, encountering all sorts of these science fiction type beasts. You know, the Sisquatch is like this one-eyed you know, gargoyle guarding the mountain. And the Not to be confused with the Sasquatch. Yes, and there's these, Sisquatch. These, there's these tree people, you know, in another song that are, you know, yeah. invading them. You know, <laughs> you know, it's just a bunch of hokum in some ways. But at the same time, there is kind of this underlying metaphor. It's about overcoming these great obstacles. What does it take to overcome great obstacles? A climbing blood mountain, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's all these layers in the lyrics, which the 15-year-old kid in his bedroom is going to love. Mm -hmm. But as you said, it comes right down to the music. At the bottom of every song, They've got these melodies, and, and they stick in your head. you got to love it. you got to love it. All right, on the Sound Opinions rating scale, we, we rate things on the uh, scale of buy it, burn it, or trash it. I mean, this is, this is a buy it record, right? Yeah, I think this is one of the signpost metal albums yes. of the year. Absolutely. Blood Mountain is a buy it record. to a song called Three Freaks, which is uh, DJ Shadow collaborating with Keek the Sneak and Turf Talk, who are two members of this new underground sound in San Francisco, bubbling under, uh, which is called Hyphy. It's a sound that we talked about months ago when we had Jeff Chang on the show, talking about what's going on in the hip-hop underground, developed in Northern California, Bay Area, San Francisco, as sort of a response to Southern crunk. DJ Shadow is a really important figure in electronic music 
and in hip-hop. Uh, came out in 96 with Introducing, mm-hmm. a startlingly creative debut album, and followed it up in 2002 with an only slightly less intense and trippy uh, album called the, the Private Press. People have been eagerly anticipating his third full-length album for some time, and now that record, The Outsider, is out. It's different. <laughs> it's a lot different. I don't want to tip my hand about my opinion on it. But apparently, Josh Davis, who is this Northern California turntable and sampling artist, he's tired of being considered the sample guy. In fact, a quote I saw in the British press, he said, I got really bored with people saying, you're the sample guy. We have you in our little box. He wanted to show his breadth and his range with his third actual album. And so he does that. There is hyphy, as I said, which is all over this record. There is southern crunk. There is old school funk. There is even (laughs) guitar driven power balladry. Let's hear a song here, and then we'll get into our actual review. We're going to play the track Seeing Thangs, where uh, Shadow, Josh Davis, is collaborating with David Banner. Comes about midway through this very long 18-track album. Here it is on Sound Opinions. Yeah. DJ Shadow up in this motherfucker. David Banner. Shadow, you got some nuts for this one, baby. <laughs> Shadow collaborating on the Shadow album, The Outsider, a song called Seeing Thangs. One of the strongest tracks on The Outsider, I think. An album that I think ranks as one of the biggest disappointments of the year. DJ Shadow has made two brilliant albums prior to this. Introducing, as you mentioned, Jim, and Private Press, both standouts in the years that they were made. Both, it should be noted, mostly instrumental. Yes. I mean, this this man, Josh Davis, basically at his home using two turntables, a sampling machine, a four-track tape recorder, and an incredibly formidable collection of very obscure records, <laughs> has crafted these two amazing journeys in sound prior to this. Now, rather than relying on these samples, as he said, he's piled up this record with guest vocalists, who couldn't hold a candle to him in terms of creativity, and really thrust the spotlight on them. It's about the MCs and the guest vocalists as much as it is Shadow. This record is incredibly jagged, jarring. The juxtapositions are poor. The the sense of flow, the sense of journey that Shadow would bring to his best work is completely missing from this record. You start out, as you mentioned, with these hyphy tracks, these 
up-tempo party tracks. The middle section of the album starts to get that sense of darkness that you associate with introducing, and that was a good example there with yeah, that seeing things, things track. Sure. But then... He gets into this new-agey bubble bath stuff with these rock vocalists. <laughs> Just a horrible, uh, I think, uh, detour for him to start collaborating uh. with some of these vocalists who want, are basically Chris Martin slash Coldplay wannabes. Wannabes, yeah, not and even it, a real it, thing. And it's, and it's just really beneath shadow, I think, to be doing stuff of this caliber. Hey, I appreciate him wanting to break out of the box, but the fact is that he sounded better in the box than he sounds outside. I feel the same way about about his many stylistic experiments on on The Outsider that I do about Outkast's uh, recent album. They just don't have a feel for the music of the 30s, Outkast, and and Shadow just doesn't seem to really have a feel for giving us good crunk or good hyphy or good blues rock or good power ballads for that sake. What he did well was that intensely trippy, disorienting, otherworldly groove music, and, and that's the last thing he wants to give us here, and it's just really, really disappointing. I gotta say, Greg, on the rating scale, buy it, burn it, trash it, this is a trash it record. Yeah, I, I think there's a couple of tracks in the middle that I would definitely burn, including that uh, Seeing Thanks track. And I also like Backstage Girl is kind of an interesting experiment for him. It's kind of a groupy saga, but it's not as tawdry as it quite sounds. It's actually kind of an interesting experiment. But outside of those two tracks, I'd say it's a trash it as well. I tell you, little buddy, this whole island is bewitched. Each week on Sound Opinions, Greg or I take a turn popping a quarter into the Desert Island jukebox, and we try to give you a pick for a song that we couldn't live without. Greg, what do you got? Jim, we've been talking about the Who on this show, and I thought I'd play an example of what the early Who were all about. This was a band that was, although Pete Townsend and Roger Daltrey, obviously incredibly important parts of that first incarnation of The Who as they are today on tour, but you got to give it up for John Entwistle and Keith Moon, particularly Moon. Townsend's celebrated for his songwriting, but I think as an arranger, he was just as potent and just as powerful. He recognized who the personalities in his band were, and he wrote and arranged his music around their strengths. He showcased what they were about. Keith Moon, and not Pete Townsend's guitar, Keith Moon's drumming was the lead instrument in The Who of the 1960s and 1970s. Townsend couldn't have done anything else. Moon would have been the lead drummer whether Townsend anointed him that or not. Moon just wanted that role. And to Townsend's credit, he showcased Moon in that light. Listening to a song like I Can See For Miles, which, by the way, is the only Who song to crack the U.S. Top 10, I still think it's the best piece of music The Who recorded in the 60s. To my mind, it is the essential Who track. And I'll tell you why. It is everything that The Who was about. You hear Townsend's guitar playing in a complimentary role to, to Moon's drumming. You hear Daltrey with a great vocal, which is slightly more restrained. Usually Daltrey loved to bellow, but here he's kind of pulling it back just enough, and it gives the whole song a more ominous tint. This is a threat being issued here. I can see for miles. I know you've been fooling around behind my back 
but I can see for miles. I can see through you. I know what you're doing. It's a threat. And the whole music sounds that way, from that opening E chord that Townsend plays to the way Moon starts to charge, pulls back, starts to charge, pulls back, and then in the chorus finally just rolls right through the chorus where Keith Moon's drumming is like the centerpiece of that song. It's this amazing journey in sound, and it's all over in about three minutes. I think it's the classic Who track, Keith Moon at his best, Pete Townsend recognizing that he had a genius in his midst that could not be denied, and basically writing a song around the drumming. It's the Who I can see for miles on Sound Opinions. I know you deceive me, now here's a surprise I know that you have, cause there's magic in my eyes I can see for miles and miles and miles and miles and miles If you think that I don't know about the little tricks you play Never see you when deliberately you put things in my way. Well, here's a poke at you. You're gonna choke on it too. You're gonna lose that smile because of the while. I could see for miles and miles. I could see for miles and miles. I could see for miles and miles and miles and There you have Greg Cott's Desert Island jukebox pick, The Who I Can See for Miles. What do we got next week, Greg? Next week, Jim, we are going to look at one of the classic albums from 1976, Songs in the Key of Life, on its 30th anniversary, Stevie Wonder's landmark R&B album. We're going to be talking to some of the people that played on that record, and we're going to tell you why it holds up. Got some thank yous to say on the way out. As always, Tori Southside Malatia is our executive producer. Todd Bachman is our managing producer and director. Matt Fingerspiegel is our producer. Jason Saldana and Robin Lynn are our associate producers. Dino Armiros gives us legal help. Joe Dassault gives us technical assistance. And Jim Russell auditioned for The Who but didn't make the cut over at American <laughs> Public Media. Simply didn't drink enough to keep up with Keith Moon. That's the problem. 